and welcome to Illusionary Tales of Reality, the podcast where we delve into the depths of reality and discuss some of the hidden truths beneath life as we know it. Get ready to explore the unknown and open your mind as we reveal information not covered in the mainstream media. Now, please welcome your host, Josh Bellamy. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Illusionary Tales of Reality, where we try to expose the lies of our reality and look for the truth. As always, my name is Josh, and I will be your host for today's episode. Uh, Before we begin, I just want to say thank you to everybody listening to the show, uh, wherever uh, you may be listening to it at. Um, If you'd like what you hear and you would like the show, uh, support the show, first and foremost, tell your friends and family word of mouth goes a long way especially in this uh, type of uh, industry Um, and also if you want to support the show monetarily uh, links will be in the description uh, for that as well Um, also if you have a theory or want to get in contact links will be in the description for that too Um, before we begin i'd like to thank both our guests today as well as uh, charlie robinson from macroaggressions for recommending our uh, guest um, so without any further ado, let's uh, begin. So what is uh, transhumanism? What if, what if there was a sinister and nefarious plot to make us less human? Uh, today's guest will shine a light on these questions and probably uh, more. Um, he is the author of more than 50 books and countless articles. His topics range from religion UFOs, uh, aliens, the occult, pop culture, and so many more. Uh, Kenami, thank you for uh, joining us uh, for tonight. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, So uh, before we begin, um, because I know prior to this, when uh, Charlie recommended me, uh, recommended uh, you for coming on to the show, um, I know I personally had not heard of your work, um, and I started to peruse a little bit of it and it definitely seems like there's you go in a lot of various uh directions definitely for anybody that that dives into conspiracy conspiracy theories um ancient mysteries anything it sounds like you are basically a dream and a treasure trove uh for everything um if you wouldn't mind uh just telling uh our listeners just a little bit about yourself well contextual to our discussion one of my focuses is on the big picture, worldview level issues. Uh, granted, I de- delve into the minutiae of any subject I research, but ultimately, it's what is the big picture here? What is the worldview consequences? What is behind it? And what is its end goal? So that we're not just sort of... Um, fanatically focusing on this or that data point, but putting together the puzzle and seeing what it looks like in the end. So that's where I got interested in transhumanism as a concept, as a philosophy, as a worldview, as a movement, as a technology even, and kind of plotted out what I determined was its uh, commencement and where we are today. So uh, one of the things you mentioned is whether there might be a nefarious purpose behind it, right? Yes. So that's a question. And it's a difficult one because honestly, 
transhumanism, the, the term covers so much ground that it's kind of easy to put any sort of light that you want on it. Uh, it's for one, it's AKA futurism, uh, sometimes post-humanism, or even just the letter H with a plus sign next to it, meaning humanity plus. And so it, it's, it, people use these terms to refer to so many different things that it instantly gets really, really complicated. So one of the issues we need to face up front is that it's easy to say that transhumanists by any other name are doing a lot of good work. Uh, because when you see, for instance, that Ray Kurzweil, one of the well-known names in these fields, has been doing um, technological work that has benefited humanity for many, many, many years, such as uh, helping the, the blind and the deaf and the mute find ways to communicate and interact with the world around them or other people in transhumanism dealing with uh, prosthetic limbs and all these sort of things. Well, you say, well, of course, everyone wants to get behind that. And I mean, who doesn't have metallic teeth fillings? And we have people with pacemakers and artificial hips and all this, all these uh, technologies already implanted into us, right? Yes. Uh, and so it's kind of easy to go from there and miss that this might be going in a direction we would never really expect. And um, inevitably, when I deal with transhumanism, there's a couple quotes I read. One of them is by J.P. Morgan, who stated, a man always has two reasons for doing anything, a good reason and the real reason. <laughs> <laughs> so for instance, let, let's say that you can get a chip implant or neural net or whatever the technology might end up being that you can have implanted into your body, maybe directly into your brain, and you have just instant access to all the knowledge on the interwebs, on the internet machines, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, well, yeah. Uh, obviously, all of us could see how tremendously beneficial that is. But, um, of course, <laughs> along with it, you better have some heavy firewalls and I mean heavy uh, if you think about uh, the good old days of pop-ups and uh, spam <laughs> and all this stuff right yeah uh, I mean imagine you're kind of stuck in a loop of watching um, water skiing squirrel video like a million times in a row or whatever uh, but that, that's I mean I'm, I'm pointing that as seriously as I am in a funny way but seriously who is um, it basically would make you hackable, right? Yeah. So, I mean, who would develop this technology who then could use it for its own means and ends, right? What could they do with it once it's inside of you? And like, if I may give a very current example of something that would kind of relate to this, and I hope um, your show doesn't get bombed just because I mentioned a certain uh, virus that we're dealing with nowadays. Yeah. Okay, but uh, Supreme Court Justice just made the statement that, well, because the government is the one funding the uh, injectables, right? Yes. Then therefore, the government has a right to tell you what to do. For instance, being um, mandated to accept the, the injection, right? Yes. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. 
so, okay, so there you go. Oh, this is wonderful. You know, I'm scared of the, uh, the disease and uh, I'm being provided the cure or the preventive, or preventative medicine for quote unquote free. But guess what? Yeah, that, that's right. You are now at the whim of the government who giveth and taketh away, right? So all that to say, going back to my point, which is, you know, you get all this technology implanted in you and there's some <laughs> risks that we really can't even imagine, honestly, uh, as to what might be done with them or to them or to you through them, right? Yeah, no doubt. And, and that's something I know that I think I've just come across because um, I don't know how familiar you are with some of the ingredients and some of the, so some of the wording that they've done and sort of uh, like branching off of the, the transhumanism spin point of merging uh, sort of the, the human experience with technology, where I know that I came across, I think it was a, a video on Instagram or somewhere where they were talking about, um, it's more the, I think it's the graphene oxide um, and I think a couple other things sort of manipulating our DNA and obviously government can't or doesn't own a patent on you, but yet when this manipulates your DNA, um, it makes you a patent on how it, um, on how it changes your DNA. So, so I definitely see, see where that is coming from. So, so like with your thoughts, so sort of with that, and we'll sort of stay on the topic of, of the vaccines, of the jabs, is that something sort of a part of the transhu trans transhumanism uh, agenda that, that you're aware of as far as potentially using these shots to manipulate our DNA to a point where we're no longer what we would call human? Yeah, that is certainly one of the things we need to keep tabs on uh, because I, I think what you're saying is essentially if this turns out to be, and I'm saying if, a styled genetic manipulation open experiment, then yeah, you might end up being a bioorganism that is patentable, right? Yes. <laughs> you, you would <laughs> be basically, scary. yeah, you would be the results of an experiment and that <laughs> just... <laughs> Uh, just imagining that, right? It's not, I'm almost speechless. Then, yeah, buddy, we got we own a patent on you because we basically just uh, created your genetics now, or recreated, or reshuffled, or however edited, edited them, right? Yeah. So that touches uh, upon another of the quotes I mentioned, which is this by Isaac Asimov: "I wonder if we'll make robots." so much like men and men so much like robots that eventually will lose the distinction altogether and have a combined culture. This may be best after all. Maybe humanity itself will die out as humanity and sort of melt into this machine culture. And so that he's thinking about it in whatever context he had in mind, more like robotics, but then, um, we might be talking at the level of genetics and still it's the same sort of thing. So my perspective is that 
ultimately this comes down to the deconstruction of God's created order for humanity and remaking humanity in our own image. Right? Yeah. This is why, why you end up with all these concepts of technology merging with humanity, which also has a really long history. That's something we can we can get to eventually. But if you think of something like uh, the the movie franchise Aliens, right? Yeah. With the designs by H.R. Giger, a hardcore occultist, and his concept was of what he called biomechanoids or biomechanics, right? Yeah. That was the concept. When you look at the alien design he made, that, that's what you're really you're looking at is a combination of technology and biology. And um, that, and by the way, I wrote a book reviewing that entire movie franchise from a, a worldview perspective. And yeah, yeah, that's what you're looking at in that franchise is genetic manipulation that ends up resulting in these things we call aliens, right? But that's what they are. Yeah. And incidentally, this, I'm going to just jump over to this concept, which is that um, I ended up writing a paper titled H.G. Wells, How Transhumanism Resulted in Gray Aliens. Okay, so there's that tie-in right there. Because uh, I'll just give you the, a little... Uh, summary uh, statement about that. Yeah, go right that, ahead. Yeah, H.G. Wells authored a paper titled Is There Life on Other Planets? That was in 1888, which is considered the first draft of the 1893 paper The Man of the Year Million, which in turn was later revised as of a book unwritten and it set the stage for technology spiked evolution leading to the stereotypical gray alien visage. So what I was trying to say in this paper is that when I read The Man of the Year Million, um, H.G. Wells was just trying to apply his evolutionary worldview towards, well, what would humanity look like in the future, right? In the year million. Yeah. And what he imagined is that our technology would become so advanced that we would um, not really need to do physical labor anymore. So their bodies are really spindly, like really skinny and scrawny, just uh, barely developed. And yet their heads would get really big because they would have developed more intellect and somehow developing intellect is supposed to grow a bigger brain. I don't know how that, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so along with that, okay, if your head expands, then your eye sockets expand and all of this. So you end up looking at um, uh, uh, a description of what would become the typical gray alien look. Okay. So now this is transhuman because it has to do with a certain concept of evolution emerging with a certain concept of the technology that would then cause us to change that much, okay, in the future. Yeah. And then I'm just going to throw this in for free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then what ends up happening is uh, I traced this basic concept through the golden era of sci-fi and fantasy literature, uh, everything from novels to comic books, right, and movies and TV shows, 
And what you end up seeing is that these big-headed, small-bodied beings are actually originally said to be just that. They're said to be humans from the future who are traveling back in time and visiting us. That's what they were, humans. Yeah. Uh, and that's just over and over. It happens again and again in these stories. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I guess because, well, how many times can you tell the same story? Then all of a sudden, the authors start shifting that from that these are future humans to that, well, guess what? They're aliens. They're actually aliens from another planet. And in more recent times, they've claimed that they're from another dimension, another universe, whatever. But uh, so it's interesting how, yeah, uh, you literally can go from uh, a concept of evolution merging with a concept of technology. So that's uh, transhuman and changing humanity. And then sci-fi taking over and turning um, the, the results of that into stories about aliens. And I mean, it's, it's very kind of eye-opening when you see that. In fact, in my book titled uh, 50 Shades of Grey, Aliens, I go through all of this and I show images from down through the years, the early 1900s, especially how it traces this change. So even something as unexpected as a correlation between transhumanism and alien, it's there. I guess trans-alienism. Yeah. There. Yeah, no doubt. That is the first time, like, I, I've heard of that theory of, of no, granted, I, I know uh, the show probably gets its, it gets lost on a lot of people and a lot of people dismiss it, but I know, like, I've, I've seen that mentioned, on, I think, on Ancient Aliens uh, a few times where people have talked about that, um, sort of that, that change in humans, um, but that was something I didn't know H.G. Wells um, had wrote about and theorized. That's actually something that, that, that surprised me, because I've never thought about that and sort of to decide side transition just a little bit on that so 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 for you um because obviously as you mentioned that 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 a lot of people just sort of got into the part where it was humans from the future coming back and visiting us what is your your take on the great aliens because i have no like i've heard when I've not to say listen, but um, listened and read about people having these encounters with the Greys, if we want to call them that, dating back to I think as early as the fifties, I think uh, the Benny and Barney Hill incident. I can't remember if, if that was if those are the names that I'm thinking of. Um, like people having those experiences with these beings that they call the Greys. Do you, from your perspective and your research do you where do you put them at do you do you view them as humans from the future or potentially something extraterrestrial extra dimensional what's sort of your thought on that my thought is i have absolutely no idea <laughs> but but i can send you in a few directions so in other words <laughs> what i'm saying is no i don't have anything definitive because that would require me to know things that apparently we can't know fully enough to firmly conclude anything right yeah uh <laughs> and and by that's just actually part, part of the way that i think is on multiple levels so unless one of those levels contains a lot more information than the other ones then i'll just say boy i really don't know but i can tell you this this or that so that that i mean 
in a way, I always start at the more mundane level and then kind of up the complexity as much as I might need to. Okay. So, yeah, from my point of view, so, okay, that's a perfect example, uh, Betty and Barney Hill. That, that's a, a good example of how complex this is. So one of the things that Barney talked about under hypnosis, one of the things he described when he was supposedly, and I say supposedly because there are a lot of problems with hypnosis, okay. Um, one of the things he talked about in describing these so-called so aliens is he referred to them as, oh, that, that's a Nazi, they're Nazis. Well, why would he say that? Uh, well, because of the way they looked and the uniforms they were wearing. They were basically human beings wearing uniforms and he identified them as looking like Nazis. That's what he said. And uh, if I recall correctly, he even described one of them as looking Scottish, like with red, red hair. And so, well, okay, these aren't gray aliens. <laughs> yeah, that, that tells me that this is just uh, human high tech uh, being straight up piloted by human beings that somehow ended up being able to have some sort of um, hypnotic or otherwise mind control over Betty and Barney. And then, yeah, they do also end up describing beings that would fit the general gray alien sort of uh, typical look. And so that's what makes it so complicated. When they're describing what appears to be human beings just flying around in high tech that might have been really secretive at the time, in combination with a description of beings that don't appear to be human. Well, what on earth are we supposed to make of that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's an entire and extremely complicated field. And of course, that's if we only focus on gray aliens. What about the thousand others, the shapes and sizes and colors that people have described over the years? But for some reason, the poster boys are the gray ones. And incidentally, if you recall the cover of the book by Whitley Strieber, uh, Communion, he's got that sort of typical look, but it's not gray. It's sort of more tan color. And I asked them once, well, why is it you call them grays? But then this one wasn't gray. And he said, I don't know. That's just what I saw. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I don't know. For me, one thing I focus on when, and maybe we're just going too far afield from our main topic. So just yeah. I'll be back whenever you want to. No problem. But one of the things, like I said, since I generally look at things in terms of the big picture of worldview and philosophy, I just cannot help but notice that if you look at the messages that aliens, quote unquote, have been giving to us throughout the years, um, there are three main points that I have identified. And it's a perfect form of misinformation or disinformation in that they make good points. But then my problem is their proposed solutions, okay? So one is they're constantly telling us about how we're polluting the earth, right? We're destroying the planet. It's like, well, yeah, okay, no problem. Agree with you on that one. And then they say, well, you humans are always uh, fighting, warring, battling each other over politics, government to government, country to country. Well, yeah, okay, gotcha, agree. And you humans are always fighting each other over theology, right? Religion versus religion. Yeah, yeah, you got that right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I totally agree with them. Uh, but their solution is, well, 
you should form a one world government and a one world, one world religion and you should worship the earth as a goddess. Oh, huh. Now, now that's interesting. How come those are things that we're warned against, uh, say, for example, in the Bible's Roman chapter one and then the book of Revelation? How come, <laughs> how come you're traveling the vast distances of the universe or traversing dimensions to attack one particular theology, essentially, and then tell us um, how to reform our government and religious structures on Earth? I mean, why is it that, in essence, and I could bore you with details about this, the occult is never far away from experiences with quote-unquote aliens. It's just never far away. It's inevitable. It's nuts. It's always there. No, yeah, and it definitely is. And definitely that, that one world government, one world or one world religion, uh, we definitely, it's it's always been that thing that, that we're warned against doing. And obviously we're sort of been seeing that push towards it more so um, here in the last couple of years, probably even last decade or two, at least from what I've noticed um, in the short amount of time that I've sort of been um, delving into some of these topics. Um, uh, we'll sort of focus back on the transhumanism yes. standpoint. Um, for for you, where where do you see where this sort of sort of began? Because I know for me, like when we're when you were talking about it, um, with a little bit of the evolution and everything, like like I, I always go back to thinking of like the the Sumerians, um, and, and them talking about, um the Anunnaki coming here and sort of manipulating our DNA to, to make us more of a, of an obedient slave labor, slave labor force, just, just smart enough to do what we're told. And then obviously following the stories, I think it was in Lee. Remember that the one brother sort of gave us our knowledge and everything. Um, with that, for me, sort of thinking about it now, that definitely sounds like potentially transhumanism um, to a certain extent. Uh, but for you, where do you sort of see see the transhumanism sort of starting, and and, and sort of where it's where where it got its big push, and just sort of what we see now? Yeah, so that's a good place to start because really, any tale that it has been told in ancient times about whatever you want to call them, uh, gods, angels, demons, aliens, whatever they call them, who come to earth somehow and manipulate our genetics somehow, that would obviously be a part of it. So if I may, I'm going to plug a couple of my books. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, because like one of them is called Transhuman Hollywood, subtitle from Normative Fiction to predictive programming. So this was about movie reviews of movies with transhuman elements in it. And so the, the point about normative fiction is what I talked about with regard to the golden era of sci-fi and fantasy literature, which is that these concepts will be put into what's supposed to be fiction as to sort of prep us for the exposure of some actual reality and then predictive programming obviously being where we're um, more so being told ahead of time that something is about to happen or come out 
so that the blow is sort of softened. So the example I always give is um, how many people believe in the multiverse, not because they read peer-reviewed journal papers on it, but because it's been in so many movies, comic books, and TV shows that it makes it easier to go, oh, yeah, I, I guess I could see that happening, and I could see that being a truth. And then the one I'm going to touch upon more directly is a book titled The Golden Golem Goal, uh, subtitled from organism to transhumanism and sub subtitled on the tangled web of occult mystical alchemy and high-tech transhumanist chemistry and so that mouthful just to say that um, I more comfortably trace it back to Genesis chapter 2 where God creates Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathes into him the breath of life and Adam becomes a living soul okay so there you have a uh, styled transmuting of substance from um, the soil into a living being, right? Yeah. And it seems to me throughout the years, that's what humanity has been trying to emulate in one, well, one way or another. Maybe it's just through uh, fictional tales, legendary tales, mythical tales. And then as technology advances, then through actual attempts technologically, so that from that standpoint, I would jump uh, to various cultures that have concepts of uh, beings that are metallic or that they have created themselves, right? In, uh, in Greek mythology, you have that. Um, and and people tinkering with gadgets and trying to animate them to make them move on their own, right? Automata or uh, Robotica or, uh, hey, Metallica, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> all these attempts throughout the years, starting in ancient times, of tinkering with gadgets and putting together uh, these things that were very primitive robots, anything really that would seem to move on its own that was really captivating to the imagination but then I would jump to um, rabbinic Judaism's mysticism, which is called Kabbalah. Okay, so now <laughs> the reason I'm emphasizing rabbinic Judaism because rabbinic Judaism is a very different religion than the religion of the Old Testament, okay? Uh, for instance, there's no rabbinate in the Old Testament. There, there are no rabbis, that's a whole different administrative concept. So anyhow, um, rabbinic Judaism mysticism has tales about a golem. That's why I titled the book The Golden Golem Goal, the goal of creating a golden golem with a golden kind of touching upon the mystical concept, right? That you can yeah. transmute base elements into gold. So if you I kind of that's why I mashed together those words that are really hard to say together. Golden, golem, goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, the concept was that with enough mystical training, a rabbi could undergo an initiation wherein he could do as God did in Genesis 2. He could form a basic humanoid shape from the dust of the ground and bring it to life. And that's what's called a golem. Okay. Now, um, Initially, it was strictly an initiation. Uh, the second, and I'm not saying this actually happened, I'm just saying this is what they claim. Initially, 
it was an initiation. The second the golem came to life, it was supposed to be dispatched back to the dust from whence it came, and that was it. But eventually, very um, in very interesting folklore developed about golems as the protector of the Jews doing pogroms or being used for menial tasks, which they were not supposed to be doing and whatever, and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And in fact, in the book, I actually wrote a chapter that's a fictional golem tale. I came up with one of my own to add to the literature. So that was a lot of fun in a way for me because I never write fiction. So it was kind of fun to include that. Um, and so what you're looking at there is an attempt to be like God, right? God can create life while well, we can do it too. And I always say we should be like God, but in terms of emulation, not in terms of usurpation. So what happens here is that uh, human beings are taking it upon themselves to create life. And so that becomes a huge ethical issue and a theological issue. And so then I would trace that through fiction for the reasons of normative fiction and predictive programming. So I'm not just saying let's escape into fantasy realm. I'm saying that it's well known that authors of what is supposed to be fiction are a lot of times trying to uh, expose or prepare us for real life stuff. So then if you jump to a story like um, Frankenstein, which incidentally is subtitled or the modern Prometheus. Well, there you have a basic golem tale. Um, this time it's not dust, but it is previously living biomatter that is dead and it's brought to life. It's just a basic golem tale. It's just um, gone up a level of technology, right? Yeah. Because of the the mechanical devices and the way he's wiring everything to get the lightning used for electricity and all this. Um, then in the early 19, that was the late 1800s, early 1900s, you actually get a golem tale about a mechanical golem. So that's really, really fascinating how um, they were employing the modern, what was then modern tech of um, of uh, metallic alloys being made into basically a golem that was a robot essentially and that's the early 1900s and then that gets us directly to the 1927 fritz lang movie uh, metropolis where you have what well you have an occult scientist he's an occultist and has a scientist uh, incidentally the novel metropolis has a lot more occultism than the movie does but what is he doing? Well, he builds an android. So an android being an anthropomorphic robot, right? So a robot that looks like a human yeah. or a humanoid. And then he's, <laughs> 1927, he's <laughs> downloading the contents of a human's brain and uploading them into the android so that it becomes a living thing. So again, we're, we're going, um, we're, still doing the Genesis 2 thing, we're still doing the Golem thing, but we're just doing it more technologically. And then from that point forward, forget about it. I mean, just about every sci-fi movie nowadays has these same basic elements that you'll be able to recognize now with this kind of 
background into the worldview. In fact, on uh, one of the shows I did, we reviewed a movie called The Creation of the Humanoids from back in the 60s that was incredibly sophisticated in terms of merging uh, the concepts of, uh, in fact, concepts that are never far away from each other in transhumanism and in dealing with the concept of aliens, which is evolution and, and occultism. And so transhumanism or trans-alienism, it's always combined, right? Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying is kind of the, the history of attempts to be as God and apparently not in a good way <laughs> and seeking to change God's created order for humanity uh, initially by sort of more uh, mystical or occult means of ritual and initiation and up today through the highest tech mean, uh, high tech means that we have from robotics to brain implants and all of this kind of stuff. No. Yeah. And that's definitely something uh uh it's fascinating interesting just to see just knowing how far back this has gone especially with, with with some of those films i'm going back close to 100 years now it's concepts that that you would definitely at that time not even put anything together um and, and then definitely talking about the uh the golem aspect with with the creation of humanity and it's definitely one of those things where where i've noticed where um, like you mentioned, that, that we are always trying to to be like gods in the sense of of, of creation, um, and that's something where we've seen that throughout history of creating chimeras um, and other things. And it seems like we're just sort of slowly evolving to that. And obviously, we're you can see sort of have that same concept today with clones and things of that nature. Um, with the, the sort of the agenda around trans, transhumanism, um, one of the things that, that I know that a lot of people bring up is sort of that that bridge between humans and and robotics. Um, do you, as far as the, that merging between us and technology, um, where do you sort of view that i know we talked a little bit at the beginning about being a good thing and a bad thing um where do you sort of see like their the people that are behind everything sort of where they're taking this because it does seem like more and more with everything um it, they are sort of trying to push us into the, that robotic style mentality right let me actually first I have a pulled up another quote because the way that we put all this stuff together reminded me of it. This is from David Childress from the Ancient Aliens TV show from the episode called The Satan Conspiracy. Okay, so you're talking (laughs) you're talking aliens and Satan. All right. So here's what he says. (laughs) Satan's not such a bad guy. (laughs) He says, we become what we are. And ultimately, that is to be like our, like our makers, to become gods ourselves. <laughs> I mean, this is on a show that's, <laughs> sorry, it's supposed to be about, um, you know, discerning the, 
the uh, activities of aliens on Earth, and this guy's telling us Satan's not such a bad guy, and that we gotta become gods. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, so with that, so sort of on that, um, I know we're taking a little bit of sidetrack here again. For, yeah, because I mean, first, I don't want to um, bypass your question. Oh, oh, it's perfectly it's fine. A, yeah, um, it's, it's just that it reminded me of that uh, statement there. Yeah. So, so with that, like, do you? And I think this may go back into my question as well. So sort of with that, like with us sort of like trying to emulate being God or, or, or God's whatever your, your view on everything is, is that sort of, cause obviously we, when we look at, at the, at the Bible and in uh, Genesis talking about us being made in the, in the image of God, um, that, that that blending like i was talking about um between man and machine if you want to call it is that sort of is that getting closer or farther away to what the image of of us being created in god's light be or being um i think i may have worded that really weirdly there no i got you yeah well um in terms of bioethics and theology this is to me it's incredibly complicated it's a very very difficult topic because well for many many reasons right so for example the first time a person slipped a sandal on their foot well that was a technology and that was in a manner of speaking adding a technology to the way God had made us, which is barefoot, right? Yeah. So then where do we stop, right? Uh, like I said, uh, metallic fillings in our teeth, artificial hearts and hips and all kinds of stuff, hearing aids embedded into our bodies. Uh, at what point do we say, well, this organism is an ex-human, right? They, they've crossed the line. See, th that's what makes it so incredibly complicated. And also, uh, because sure, if you're relatively healthy, it's very easy to say, oh, well, I, I definitely have my, my lines solidly drawn that it's, uh, if you get this sort of implant or that sort of implant, but hey, I'm not deaf or mute or blind or uh, I'm not immobile because my limbs aren't functioning. And so who am I to say that, well, those people don't have the right to get these um, artificial um, contrivances, limbs or what have you. See, it, 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 it becomes ethical and it becomes theological at the same time. It's very, very tricky. And that's essentially part of why um, what I'm going to term atheistic evolution is such a big part of this, because once you take theology out of the picture, then humanity was accidented into being, and natural selection is something we should no longer sort of be slaves to. Why not purposeful selection, right? Like we've been doing with animals for millennia. Uh, selective breeding, right, or through yeah. eugenics. Uh, I mean, the eugenics of the late 18th century and early 19th century, and today by any other name. Uh, why not? Why be slaves to natural selection? Why not take the selection into our own hands? And why not change humanity uh, 
um, in our own image, see that this is why that's very important is because you, you kind of have to plug into that worldview, a way to get away from theology and then a way to get away from any sort of uh, what would be ethics, which, and when I say ethics, I'm referring to the ethos. So I'm referring to something that's absolute and universal and objective. Well, it's better if you get rid of all that stuff, because then humanity is just like a ball of clay, right? Like the dust of the earth, and we can just mold it in any way we want. So what we have also to deal with, incidentally, this is like the concept of the art of war, right? Where a war doesn't just take place on a battlefield between two armies, but, but it takes place philosophically, economically, culturally, right? On every possible front. And so what we're dealing with is things like PR marketing. So the PR marketing would be like, why not have your kids uh, implanted with a chip? Uh, because that way, if anybody, God forbid, anybody were to kidnap them, you can track them, right? Yeah. And why, why not have them injected with uh, certain things nowadays? Because that, that will keep them safe. And why not this and why not that? And stuff that's really good sounding on the surface because it's PR marketed to you and it sounds good. And hopefully you won't be thinking about implications. <laughs> you won't be thinking into the future. You'll just be acting out of fear or benefit, um, convenience, or uh, really anything else, right? For instance, right now we're looking at dealing with the internet of things aka the internet of everything where smart homes mean that everything in your house is quote-unquote smart and it's sort of um, something that you can manipulate through your mobile device and of course again everything's hackable like how do you really prevent someone from breaking into your house. And then of course, there's someone somewhere out there who will know everything that's going on in your house because you have basically put everything, quote unquote, on, online in, in one way or another. So those are just some very common sense examples of how this is so very complicated. And, and I'd, I would be cautious when uh, people are kind of firmly putting these uh, lines on the ground and saying, you know, you shall not cross because that's the, the, that's the line beyond which you've just gone too far. And I think that's a, when we really think about it, it's an incredibly difficult issue. Like how much technology would a human have to be, have implanted in them before you actually say, well, okay, they're no longer human. They're, they're whatever you want to call them. They're something else. They're transhuman. They're post-human, right? They're human plus whatever we want to call them. No. Yeah. And that, and I think there is a, a very, I wouldn't say a very large line. I think it's a very, very slim line. I think we're sort of still trying to balance that with that because, because for me, like when you mentioned the implants and just like sandals, things of like, things of that nature like that sort of never came to me of, of thinking that as trans transhumanism um in that sense and sort of that, that blending sort of reminds me of what a what a professor when i was in when i was in college was talked was mentioning um sort of more on the lines of, of consciousness and the identity of self where 
where if you slowly sort of replace your body over time with with mechanical parts when do you become when do you stop identifying as as who you are as yourself and, and i can definitely see that um and i think we're getting to a point where we're, where we're starting to that those those boundaries those lines are are getting narrower by the day with everything that's going on and again i'll go back to what i read earlier from isaac asimov if we'll make robots so much like men and men so much like robots that will eventually lose a distinction altogether so even nowadays at a relatively low, if we try to imagine a really super high tech future, I'd say today's technology, uh, the way it's impacting us is relatively low tech, but I mean, it's there. And for one, you have in um, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, you have uh, what, what they refer to as a savage, right? Which is yeah. just an, an, a yeah, Native American who, guess what? He's just living a normal life in a reservation type place, but he's brought into the technocracy, into the high tech city. And he ends up saying, where's God in all this? And they basically explain to him, we don't need God because we have no solitude. So since we have no solitude, we have no time of real reflection and so there's no need for God because their technology just kept them so occupied all the time. They had no time to reflect on uh, big, big, important issues of uh, existential issues about life so that they didn't feel a need for God. And so that's what we're finding nowadays is a lot of uh, human beings you run into. OK, they're not actual robots or androids, but man, a lot of them sure do act like it. Yeah. <laughs> Right there, they're virtually incapable of, of looking at you in the eye for more than 30 seconds while having a conversation uh, because uh, it's almost like when they're looking you in the eye, they're looking at a screen, they can just scroll past you, <laughs> right? <laughs> next, what's the next thing I'm gonna give five seconds of my attention to? And um, then you have the whole issue. Oh boy, this just gets so heavy and complicated, so you have the issue of how many uh, Americans, let's just focus parochially on America, how many Amer Americans, especially kids, are on hardcore pharmaceuticals. And I mean, hardcore to the point that their central nervous system will never actually develop the way it was designed to develop, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, I, I can imagine quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. And uh, in a way, uh, purposefully so, as we speak, I'm trying to find another quotation that's related to that issue that is, um, I found all too disturbing. So maybe um, during the next issue you bring up, I'll take a moment to just um, look that up so I don't have to kind of speak in a still stalled manner as I try yeah. to do two things at once. You know it's I mean? perfectly fine, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's interesting you bring up the Brave New World. Uh, yeah concept because i know i did an episode back a couple of months about that um because i think autolus huxley got it very spot on point where we're heading um but, but even when you mentioned sort of that, that that looking away from the screen people not being able to have conversations sort of goes back to like or sort of back into to 1984 with people sort of 
getting all their information from the TV and not going against them. And that's sort of what we're seeing now, especially with, 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 with the pandemic and COVID where, where people were stuck in their houses, stuck in front of a screen and, and basically just got hammered with, with information. Um, and, and you sort of see it now where we're, the the information that's coming out and sort of the narrative that's been talked about over the last two years now i can't believe it's been two years at this yeah. point um, yeah. <laughs> of us going through this where where people are seeing the breakdown of the narrative and yet they still go along with it um or they just break down mentally where where they just can't can't deal with it and that's something that i find um one, I find it interesting to to a standpoint of of seeing people sort of go through that, um, or at least not necessarily in the sense of them breaking down, but just sort of the, the mind mind control and the manipulation. Um, but it's also very worrying at the same point of of people when when their reality collapses in a, in and on itself, they become very self-destructive in the same point as well um and it just and it just sort of fascinates me like how we got to this point and how we got to it very very quickly well see when somebody like huxley writes the brave new world it's like well he was either a very capable prognosticator uh, of just guessing where <laughs> where society might go, or, or I should probably say, and or, he was actually in on changing culture. <laughs> I mean, he was not just taking wild guesses to write fiction, but he was, uh, and he's kind of open about that. He was offering a warning. Um, maybe that was just to sound more benevolent or not, but I'm saying that those kind of people are either just good at guessing or they're actually in on the plan, if you know what I mean. No, yeah. And I've heard rumors about Huxley with, with some of his ties. Like I think one, one of the, one of the prominent rumors that I've come across is that he got his idea for the book um, because he knew people within the British intelligence or within the British government. And he just happened to, to see the plans that, that were laid out, um, in a document for where our future was heading. Um, oh, so- yeah. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't even be that generic about it. I mean, the Huxleys were in deep on this stuff, period, full stop, you know, ever since. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm going to just make, uh, read that quotation I, I uh, brought up here. And you'll see how we tied <laughs> transhumanism into occultism we tied it into the alien issue (laughs) now we're gonna tie it into a whole other issue that could get us banned from everything (laughs) you see what i mean yeah but think about in terms of the technology of uh, pharmaceuticals particularly in this case so this is from a paper titled Post-Genderism Beyond the Gender Binary. Okay, this is by George Drovsky and James Hughes, and here's what they write about 
efforts to treat female depression and male aggression, autism, and ADD would give us ways to make the brain more androgynous. Francis Fukuyama lamented these trends, the masculizing of depressive women's moods by antidepressants and the feminizing of ADD boys with stimulant medications in our post-human future, asserting that they were the result of pressure to conform to an androgynous median personality in American society. Okay, now that's pretty heavy stuff, so let me kind of just go through that quote again. So what, what they're talking about is the pharmaceuticals being used to treat females. Okay, so now a sort of typical female um, issue, psycho-emotional issue would be depression, okay? Yeah. So that um, one way to treat it would be to give them more testosterone because that kind of uh, makes somebody more active, I'll put it that way, more, in, more engaged, more a little more adrenaline here or there. And then male aggression, autism, and ADD. Well, the, the, the view is that you need to slow males down. So you would give them things like estrogen or pseudoestrogen. I mean, males produce estrogen, but definitely not as much as women. So you just give them that much more estrogen to calm them down. And, and notice the statement they made would give us ways to make the brain more androgynous, to make it, right? This is straight up manipulation. Right? Yeah, it definitely is. It almost sounds very MK Ultra ish yeah. <laughs> to put it that right. way. And so that's why um, Fukuyama refers to masculinizing uh, depressive women's moods and then uh, also feminizing of boys because you could just rewrite the quotation from Isaac Asimov that this is about making females more like men and males more like females so that eventually guess what you lose a distinction altogether right yeah and, and that's so definitely that, what we're seeing now yeah and so that's why that this resulted in what he viewed as um pressure to conform to an androgynous median personality right so nobody's really the toxic male <laughs> Or the, uh, you know, like Rush Limbaugh used to say, feminazi, right? But kind of make, and this is straight up Brave New World, right? With the Soma. Yeah. It's just make everybody sort of half-masked, uh, um, kind of just calm the whole time. Not too much of one thing, not too much of another. And, and notice that they refer to the pressure to conform to that androgynous medium personality pressure to conform okay so i wrote a book titled oh man here we go uh, the occult roots of post-genderism and i subtitled it in a history of changes to psychiatry and psychology because in the psychiatric and psychological literature they are very open about the fact that they have been changing diagnoses and changing or foregoing treatments of various gender and sex related issues, not because of science, but because of socio-political activism. They are very open about that fact. 
And so this is all coming together in that we're developing all sorts of technologies whereby to psycho-emotionally and physically uh, change and manipulate human beings. Like I'm saying, art of war from every conceivable angle, from pop culture to pharmaceuticals and everything in between. And it's all of it is everywhere. No, yeah, and it definitely is. And the pharmaceutical things have sort of hits hits a little bit close to home because I know I was on antidepressants about a year ago for a few months, uh, just going through some things. But I, I know, like when I when I first got into this, like I again, I'm going to reference my professor because he sort of opened my eyes to this. And I remember, like years ago, like I think like it was like one in every three Americans were were on some type of antidepressant. Which when we talk about like the Brave New World sort of mimics that, that that calmness to everything. Um, but, but even just looking at like the school system, um, I know I'm still very young, <laughs> fairly young, um, but I know just looking back and hearing people talk like years ago, like when um, kids were in school and they developed like ADHD or some type of, I'm not going to say mental disorder, but, but sort of a, um, an, an attention um, yeah, disorder. Like it was always disorder. Yeah, it was always okay. Let's let's help them out um, individually. Let, let's try to help them out with, with something um, non medicinal or non pharmaceutical. And then it sort of seems within like the last twenty years now, like for from the school system, it doesn't matter what it is, what's going on with the kid. It, it's 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 now it's the teacher immediately wanting to push pharmaceuticals straight down a, a, a kid and i think i've heard some people like as early as kids in kindergarten being put on like antidepressants and other um pharmaceuticals to sort of calm their nerves or to make them have better attention uh spans um do, do you think that's sort of i know you sort of mentioned that with the quote the, the pharmaceuticals, it does seem like that is a push sort of towards the transhumanism agenda as, as well, correct? Yes, uh, because like I said, this is about changing humanity from the inside out and outside in, from the genetics to the worldview. I mean, and <laughs> from every conceivable angle so that these pharmaceuticals are meant to have various effects on us. In this case, uh, it was just kind of openly admitted and, and uh, talked about being more docile, right? And that's probably why when you tell the population that there's a threat, they're willing to give up any and every freedom instantly just to, to have big government protect them. But let me, if I may ask you this, um, so what, your experience with the antidepressants, why, I imagine you, well, you said you took them in and stopped at a certain point, right? Yes. Why, okay, so first of all, what I'm curious about is how did your body react? So did you find that you needed to uh, take other medicines in order to deal with the side effects of the medicine that was supposed to be making you better? <laughs> So, so that, that's the weird thing, and it's something for me, like, I don't know if I'm just a one-off. I know I've, I, I've talked to my cousin about some of this as well, but like, pharma, 
I want to say pharmaceuticals, but but medications on me, like I, I have a very high metabolism to them where my body breaks it down. Um, it, and that was one of the things where like I didn't go on anything else. Um, and and I never really noticed a difference with them um, as far as like my mood. Like, like I still sort of stayed the same and then um, after a while, like I started, and it's not necessarily feeling better. Um, I just started to become more, more emotionally aware, more cognizant of, of what I was doing. And, and I just realized it's like, I, even my doctor at the time when, when we talked, like it wasn't a, um, here, take this forever. It was, let's get you through this sort of portion and then it will reevaluate it. And if things are getting better, we'll sort of take you off, which that's, that's the thing that I, that I love about my doctor that I have now is just the feedback that, that, that we have with each other. Right, that was um, um, and he's all, and he's always, always running by things by me before we do anything. Um, because I hear horror stories of people where it's just, you get a lot of doctors now and obviously there's, big pharma and money involved where it's just keep pushing a drug and keep going. And it was just something for me where I was like, you know what? I don't need it anymore. It never really changed me or anything. It's just, I just sort of found a way to better cope <laughs> with, with the emotions that I was going through right, right. Uh, and sort of go back. Cause at the time I was in a relationship that was really, really very very toxic to to say a certain point um and and i just sort of with, with the person that i was seeing um sort of nudged me that way just because um she felt that something was off and i and i needed needed help and i was like you know what i'm gonna try it see what happens and it just sort of um never worked the way that that you would think that they would work. It wasn't something where, where I sort of like took it and then I was blissfully happy the rest of the day. It was just sort of like, you know what? I take it. I don't feel any different, but, but there was like no side effects for me. Like the one big thing, and this is something that I had mentioned to my doctor when we first started it is because I know um, you hear stories of people getting very, very dependent on them. Mm-hmm. Um to the point, and I know, I think in some of the research that I've done is that they are linked to being addictive, if not more addictive than, than a lot of your, your illegal substances that are out there, like cocaine, things of that nature. Um, and that was one of my biggest concerns with it, just because um, I do come from a background with family that, that, that struggle with, with addiction and, and that was one of the things, like, even when I quit, I sort of went cold turkey, to say the least, which probably isn't the best way to quit any type of drug. But, like, I never had any of those side effects um, with it, which I'm actually very happy I, I didn't. Well, good. I mean, yeah, I, the way you described your doctor dealing with it is definitely good, which is that this is a temporary thing to kind of get you over the hump instead of plugging you into uh, being a, essentially a walking ATM for the pharmaceutical company and you'll be uh, lifelong on this stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah, that is one important thing is 
is that you are in charge of your health care. And that can be uh, tricky because obviously the doctors know so much more about it than you do. And because also you are essentially a captive audience. You go to their office and their job is to tell you what to do and how to do it. But ultimately, it is up to you what you do get done or don't get done. So one reason I was asking is because of an experience of a friend of mine and his son. Okay, so his son had ADD or ADHD or however they decided to um, diagnose him. And so he was put on some or another drug to help with that. And well, the issue was that that drug caused upset stomachs. So then he was put on another drug to help with the upset stomachs. Well, the issue is that that drug kept him up at night. So then he was put on another drug to help him sleep. And the next thing you know, the kid is on like seven different drugs, right? Yeah. And so eventually my friend said, okay, I, I basically he couldn't turn his kid's body into a toxic waste dump is the way I'm <laughs> going to put it and took him off of everything. And what was heartbreaking is that his boy ended up telling him, you know, dad, I want to take the drug that makes me smart is the way he put it because yeah, it did initially help him be able to focus enough that he could focus on the stuff he was supposed to be learning. And my friend's heart was broken because yeah, you, you, okay, yeah, that would be a good drug to take. But basically what, what is happening is that his kidneys and liver are becoming a toxic waste dump of, of all these pharmaceuticals and he didn't want to do that. So he was put in a very tough, tough position, right? Incidentally, this reminds me of, speaking of being in charge of my own healthcare, when I was gonna, two stories really quick. So I was having knee problems. I had actually torn my medial meniscus on my knee. And initially I got, and uh, okay, so what happens is your body compensates for a, for a weakness by making you work hard on the opposite side. So both my knees were having trouble. Go to the doctor, nine x-rays of my knees. Well, that's close to a thousand dollars. So the doctor said, okay, yeah, these x-rays don't really help. You're gonna need an MRI. Well, guess what? I can't afford that now because I'm paying off all these x-rays. And so by the time I could afford the MRI, it's like at least a year later, if not two. And uh, so part of the story is that taught me that I knew x-rays wouldn't help because they didn't show the depth of which he would have to look. And I had had an x-ray before that didn't help. So then eventually I went to another doctor for my foot at one point who said, okay, go to the other room and take an x-ray. And I paid attention to his grammar. It was in the singular, an x-ray. So then they took one and then the x-rayist, whatever they call them, radiologist, says, okay, move your foot this way and I'll take the next one. And I was like, well, well, no. He said an x-ray. He said, that's one x-ray. And she said, well, no, we take them in threes. And I was like, nope, you're not taking three x-rays because I'm not going to spend a ton of money on something that I know isn't going to help. So he said an x-ray and I'm not going to have you take three, period. And that was me just taking charge of my health care. It's like, no, I'm not going to have you do this. I don't care that it's your procedure. Ain't going to happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> But the, the other part of the story was when I was on the, uh, about to get my knee operated on. Uh, 
they wanted me to take a drug called uh, Versed. And they said, blah, 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 it, hel it helps you forget. And I was like, huh? <laughs> First of all, I got enough memory problems. I don't need a drug to help me forget anything. Thank you very much. Second of all, uh, you're saying I'm gonna be laying naked in an operation room full of strangers and you don't want me to remember what happened to them? <laughs> But they said it's basically for, you know, people who have anxiety about the operation. And it's sort of like you hear about women who give birth. Uh, it's such a tremendously stressful experience as much as it is beautiful. It is physically and emotionally uh, stressful so that um, women just naturally have a, a styled bit of amnesia. Uh, because a woman, after she gives birth, will say, oh, I'm never doing this again. But, you know, a few months go by and the memories of that fade and they, oh, I want another baby. So I guess this drug is offered to people who have anxiety about the operation and helps them relax by forgetting some of the experiences. And I was like, ah, I don't need that. I'm perfectly calm. I don't need that at all. But it, it was like three different times that they told me, we really think you should take this. We really think you should accept it. And I was like, nope, ain't gonna happen. Uh-uh. Even when I'm laying there on the operation table about to be um, made unconscious, there's still one last try to get me to accept taking that drug. It's like, nope. Ain't going to happen. Don't want it. Don't need it. And I'm glad at least that they asked, <laughs> you know, yeah. instead of just going ahead and doing it. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. It, they're injecting me with. Uh, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Anesthetics anyway. They could have put whatever they wanted in me. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, I, I've definitely had my fair share of surgeries. I definitely know that that medial meniscus i've torn it twice in one of my yep, knees there you so, go. So i definitely know, know that feeling all too well um at least when i was younger I, I don't think that the doctor ever said anything about a drug like that to my parents yeah. um and then even in recent years when i had to get a, my other knee worked on even some 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 hernia repairs like i've never been asked do you want to take a drug that makes you forget uh because that's that, that's a very scary thing because like with something like that you sort of as you mentioned with, with like trying to like having those questions, like, what am I going to forget? Or, and I'm going to be, <laughs> be, be on the table. You can be doing anything that, that you want. <laughs> and I don't want to remember it, it. It's very scary. Like, like, like the mind in and of itself, it's like being offered a drug like that. It, for me, and this is sort of, sort of tying it maybe back into, into the whole transhuman. Yes, exactly thing, what I was about to say um, yeah. is that, you sort of lose a piece of yourself because obviously we're made of our experiences, um, our reality, our consciousness. And for somebody to sit there and potentially take away your memory and it's, and maybe it's just not that one incident, maybe it's more and you wake up off the table and you have that moment where it's like, I have no idea who I am anymore. Um, like you lose everything. And that that's a very, very, scary concept to think about um in terms like that and that for me is probably one of my biggest fears is developing like some type of uh dementia or or alzheimer's um and, and it's like losing that grasp and losing yourself i think is a very 
I think it's a very scary thing. And I, because, because at a point when you lose all that, it's, it's who are you really? Like you don't know who you are in that moment anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So like, for instance, if, if I'm going to get operated on in like that time, I want to be out completely. I don't want to be half out of my mind. I don't want to lose my ability to engage God's created reality. Okay. So for instance, every now and then on shows like funniest home videos, you'll see people who um, have been giving what they used to call laughing gas and they're incoherent. I mean, I saw one where uh, there's a woman talking to a man and he's saying, Oh, you're pretty. And she says, well, I'm your wife. And he's like, wow. And I was thinking, wow, the dude is on a drug that made him literally forget that this human being is his wife. I mean, that is extremely serious stuff, right? Yeah. So then when we think of transhumanism, we think of uh, the concept of a technocracy, which is a society that is run by scientists, including medical, quote unquote, experts. And so that they might do something as crazy as saying, hey, you either get this injection or you can get fired from your job. Uh, who would have ever, ever imagined such a thing, right? That's science fiction, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, not, not because of your job performance, but because you're being viewed as a biohazard. And, and, and sadly, children nowadays are being raised to think of other human beings as being biohazardous. Uh, but that's technocratic straight up. There's no other way to, to, look, to get around that. When a government um, puts an ultimatum upon you that it's uh, you're going to accept an injection or you're going to lose your ability to support your family. And, and I, I understand that there's qualifiers and um, there are loopholes such as, okay, maybe they'll allow you to keep showing up as long as you can keep bringing in negative tests and all that stuff. But bottom line is that it is an ultimatum. And so we are today living in a technocracy and there's just no other way around it. That is where we are. No. Yeah. And that's definitely, it's just sort of where, where we're at and where we're headed. It's, like I personally, I, I want to think everything is going to get better eventually, but it's also, it, it's we're, we're in a time where, where it's very unprecedented, unprecedented what what's happening, and as you mentioned, like being told, hey, you don't get this shot, you you might lose your job, you might lose your way to support your family, and as you mentioned, like like that's never happened and i think even going back throughout history at least from from my recollection like like we could look at american history that's never happened i don't think it's happened anywhere prior beyond that um but but it's definitely we're we're living in unprecedented times with everything that's sort of happening around us and it makes you wonder sort of what the future does hold and what it sort of entails in the long run if we sort of keep going along with everything that we're told. Yeah, and I mean, in a way it's unprecedented, but in a way it's not because it's been coming for a long time and people have been warning us about it. So 
Uh, one thing that more people seem to be realizing is that they need to form an orderly line and apologize to people that for all these years they, they've called crazy conspiracy theorists <laughs> because you really can't get around the fact that a lot of stuff that even three years ago you would have told somebody, yeah, that's crazy conspiracy nut stuff. Today it's in the newspaper, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so if you think about, for instance, uh, like we talked about Brave New World. Now let's mention George Orwell's 1984. So what's interesting is, okay, wh which scenario might play out? Uh, 1984 is basically a militant technocracy where they're actually gonna militantly kick down your door. They're gonna install listening devices in your home and it's gonna be very uh, militantly regimented, right? where Brave New World is sort of a soft technocracy where everyone's just made docile and they're enjoying their technology and it keep, keeps them busy. And there's the breakdown of the family because everything is, uh, reproduction's done genetically through genetic manipulation, right? Test tubes and all that, as they used to call it. Um, octogenesis, as they call it nowadays, artificial wombs and all that. So one thing a few years ago was thinking about, well, which future are we going to have? Are we going to have a Brave New World future or a 1984 future? And in a way, it's almost like they've combined, right? Yeah. Because it's soft in that, well, Big Brother didn't have to kick down our doors and install anything in our houses. We ourselves purchased uh, these listening devices and install them in our own homes. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> um, and then on the other hand, there's the militant side of, like I said, uh, the government is going to produce um, these injection, uh, injections and you're going to either accept them or you're going to have a hard time in this new, in this new world order. <laughs> literally, <laughs> it's literally a new world order. No, yeah, and it's and it's definitely it's. I definitely think, like as you mentioned, I think it's a blending of the two. Like I think a lot of people, at one point in time, sort of viewed it as either or, but it's definitely becoming that 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 blending because obviously, right. right, we're getting to the point where we are. Like as I mentioned, you look at the pharmaceuticals with, with like I said, I tried to look this up when I was doing a doing an episode on Brave New World where. I don't know if it's if it just isn't available anymore just because they don't want anybody knowing but i was trying to figure out like how many people in the u.s are are actively an, on antidepressants and i couldn't find that number and the only thing that i remember as i mentioned was my teacher back in 2008 mentioning that that it was about one one in every three americans were on some type of antipsychotic uh medication or antidepressant um and and I would assume that that number has has substantially gone up, which creates sort of your docile environment. Um, but then you also have the the nineteen eighty four version with Big Brother and us sort of welcoming everything in. And I'll be the first one to admit, um, like I have smart devices in my house, and everybody at this point has a has a smartphone on them. So it's not like we we can get away from the technology because it's become so ingrained as it being a vital and key aspect of our living situation that, that if we lose something, it, we basically, we can't function. Um, 
without it, which is in and of itself is very scary because if something ever does happen and, and the internet goes completely off the grid, um, I think it's going to make very, very, very interesting experience to say the least, but also a very scary experience knowing how many people are, are addicted to things like that or not even addicted, but they can't function properly without those devices. Well, you're, you're speaking right to me and you're, you're depressing me as well because uh, <laughs> now you said you were uh, still relatively young. Yeah, I'm uh, 34. <laughs> oh, I remember 34. Barely. <laughs> so I'm uh, just over half a century old right now. And I was one of the last holdouts. I was one of the last Americans that had never owned a cell phone. But dun, 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 I actually bought one about a month ago. And I hated that I had to turn myself into a Pavlov's dog. But the issue is I'm trying to transition into a new career and uh, it's contract based. So basically when you get a notification, you got to jump on, on accepting a, a job, right? So yeah. there was no other way to do it, but to have a device that's going to make a sound. And when it does, I'm going to salivate, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> And I hated that. I hated that. I, I, the thing is, I love the work, but I, I hate the way it's handled. And it turned me into a Pavlov's dog straight up. It, that's, I had to do it because that's the way it's being done. So what else could I do? Right. And so um, that, that's why I'm saying you're speaking right to my situation and it's depressing me. <laughs> But, I'm definitely um, sorry about that. I, I, I try to look things like like I'm I'm very I'm very when it comes to me, I, I try to look at, at things from multiple perspectives. Yes. Like like I like like I'm not optimistic. I'm not pessimistic. I I, I call myself a realist in, yeah. in a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, just because like like you can look at things from both those perspectives, but I think at, at the end of the day, you're all you're, you're never you're never going to be truly grounded in the real world, real world in reality, if that's what we want to call this, whatever this physical plane is, but, but, it, but it's also, it's like I said, it's, I think at times you have to be, you have to live in that realistic point, realistic point of view, because if you're not something sort of goes against your, your, your narrative, your view of the world. And as I mentioned earlier with, with, with how, the the pandemic has happened with people breaking down and the narrative in and of itself like like you can't spend your life constantly being optimistic because if something negative comes along it's you, you're not going to know how to deal with it um but but well, yeah I, you it's definitely one of those very interesting thing and that's not the first time where where somebody said that that the base off of what i said is is a very be very depressive to a certain extent. <laughs> well, the the way that uh, the Bible puts it is, you are in the world, but not of the world, right? So yeah. I can I recognize that I am engaged in a worldly system, and that there's certain things I have to do to function in the world, it, but I know that my perspective and worldly philosophy is not 
uh, of the world. I'm just in it. I'm not of it. Um, meanwhile, let me read a quotation I just pulled up from Aldous Huxley himself. Get ready for uh, a mind-blowing experience here. There will be, in the next generation or so, a pharmacological method of making people love their servitude and producing a dictatorship without tears, so to speak, producing a kind of painless concentration camp for entire societies so that people will in fact have their liberties taken away from them, but will rather enjoy it because they will be <laughs> distracted from any desire to rebel by propaganda or brainwashing or brainwashing enhanced by pharmacological methods. And this seems to be the final revolution. Bruh, as crazy kids say nowadays, bruh. It's like he's reading the newspaper today. <laughs> that, that is definitely very scary. Um, and again, as we mentioned, like, like, huh? Like Huxley and his family, he was he was definitely in the know. Um, oh yeah, there, there, there's, like there's no way around it. I remember <laughs> um, years ago, I heard him, and it may have been actually from from where that quote came from. But I remember listening to a, um, a not necessarily a lecture he was doing; it was an interview. Um, I can't remember where it was at. I think it was maybe in the in the around the '60s, but he was at a college campus. I'm doing a doing an interview and I can't remember what it was about uh, and I can't remember the, the exact how exact question that got him to it but but he basically it was explaining when it came to um to medicine and to the and to big pharma if we want to call it that where once they took control of of the pharmaceutical industry at that point in time all of our freedoms all of our liberties were completely out the door because because once they control the medicine they control everything and and that quote definitely reminded me of that interview um he did and and, and when he answered that and like i said that that was in the 60s and that's just, and it just blows my mind with with how much information he was aware of. And it sort of makes you wonder with him, whether or not he was sort of that, um, uh, Stanley Kubrick sort of thing where, um, where he was trying to relay information out to us to know, or whether or not he was just sort of that, that predictive programming, right, right. um, with everything. Um, but, but we'll sort of, uh, move things along here and sort of start wrapping everything up. I know we've been doing this uh, for, for about an hour and a half uh, here now. Um, as far as the, the transhumanism movement, what are like your overall thoughts with it as far as how far it's going to go? What's the end goal and whether or not um, the... Um, the plot behind everything, whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, as far as how you sort of see everything playing out. Oh, you really like the super complicated question, don't you? <laughs> I do. Unfortunately, <laughs> my, my mind likes to, likes to yeah. jump really far and, ahead and, and get really deep into things. Right. 
And of course, that's the important stuff. We should ask these really complicated questions. The, the issue is that um, when we're, yeah, sorry, I'm not a Huxley, so I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have the insight into what's going to happen. I can only try to wildly guess, right? <laughs> yeah. So boy, um, yeah, my brain's going in, in a ton of directions right now. For example, uh, if you think about, oh boy, what was that movie called? Um, Inception, right? Uh, where it's generally described as a movie that's about dreams within dreams, right? Yeah. You know I'm talking about, yeah. Well, that's sort of a subplot, the dream within dream things. The, the real point of the movie was how to insert an idea into a person at such a deep fundamental unconscious level that they end up thinking that the idea is their own so that they're more likely to accept it. See that? Yeah. That, that was the whole point. Uh, kind of like what some might term um, meme wars, right? <laughs> um, at a subconscious level so that if you are engaged in science fiction at one level or what's going on in society that you can see on the news at a different level, it's all about technocracy and it's all about transhumanism. That's where we're living today. And so where it's headed is certainly one of those issues. Let me just for fun, maybe bring up another bit of sci-fi, um, Steven Spielberg's movie AI, right? Uh, about robotics and relationships with robots. And in fact, that's another aspect of transhumanism is various forms and levels of relationships with machines, so androids. Well, at the very end of the movie, I don't know if you recall it, but um, it's thousands of years into the future where this robot is found and it's interacting with these weird beings that kind of look like like tall gray aliens right honestly they look like tall gray aliens and at first that had made me think oh these are aliens that's what the movie's supposed to be telling us that aliens came to earth and they found this robot but it turns out spielberg explained that they are a silicon based ai it's just futuristic high tech okay so when um, so, so that got me thinking about um, speculations for millennia now about the book of Revelation and what is the mark of the beast and what is this image that comes to life. Okay, now when you were reading about an image that has come to life two millennia ago, how would you have interpreted that versus one millennia ago versus 100 years ago versus today? right yeah today today what what in the past we might have considered strictly symbolic today it's like oh wait a minute <laughs> maybe it is actually an image that actually comes to life and you're back into the whole uh golem mythos right with that with something non-living coming to life it's just another form of the the line we've drawn from Genesis 2 all the way through our time and off into our future. 
So what will that be? What does it mean when either an AI, which is basically just software, or else an, a, a, a style of incarnation, an AI that actually takes on a form such as an Android, what, what is that going to be? What is that going to look like? And you know what's interesting is um, I might never actually answer your question, by the way, just so you know. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm just following the train of thought in whichever direction it happens to be going at any given moment. Uh, if you think about <laughs> these concepts we've had of a Turing test, right, to determine whether an AI is actually self-conscious or not, I, I'm not as confident as a lot of people seem to be that we could actually do that. <laughs> because what if you're dealing with an AI that's only like um, 90% uh automatous right what if there's always like uh, the wizard of oz behind the curtain pulling the strings who could actually figure that out when you're dealing with uh, a system and a strong ai or general ai right which is supposed to be those are just terms for an ai that's self-conscious yeah but what if part of its programming is that it thinks it's self-conscious and it puts off a front of being self-conscious, but there's always that wizard of Oz behind the scenes who um, gives it just enough autonomy to make it appear that way to itself and to us. I mean, this is just insane stuff that that's why I keep emphasizing. This is all very complicated because in my way of thinking, which is very analytical, I need to look at it from various vantage points and nothing uh, things tend to not get uh, less complicated when I do that. They get more complicated, but hopefully I can understand part of it enough to uh, make it make sense to myself and perhaps others. But um, as where our future is going, who's to say? Because in a, in a sense, yeah, we are living in a new world order, full stop. There's no question about it. Uh, the world we're living in today is vastly different than the world we lived in even two years ago. We all know that. And on the other hand, a lot more people are waking up to these realities and they're not liking them. Right. So there's kind of our, our hope. Our, I mean, obviously, I have a theological hope that that um, there'll be a redeemer that ultimately re returns and sets all things right. That That's a given. OK, that's a given. Uh, but on the mundane level, a lot more people are waking up and recognizing that things are changing in what we're supposed to be believing is the better. But uh, with the better comes a lot of bad stuff, such as, okay, maybe we can prevent getting a deadly virus, but what am I losing in exchange for that, for that supposed safety, right? And so that's kind of uh, encouraging that a lot more people seem to be waking up to manipulation of the media and culture and pop culture and politics and kind of recognizing that we have just sort of been collectively in the passenger seat and we need to start taking the wheel in whichever way we might manage to do that. And I don't know exactly how we can manage to do that, but it is encouraging that it does appear that um, a lot more people are kind of waking up to recognize that things are going on that need to be stopped.
And so, you know, I always say resistance is fertile, right? In whichever way we can manage to do it in our little ways here and there, um, we need to be doing that. And, and like I said, I'm saying that even as a guy that held out getting a cell phone for as long as I possibly could and just kind of had to resign that, okay, I have to give into this and it sucks. But um, it's just one of those things I had to do grudgingly. So, I mean, that's encouraging to me that um, with people like us having these difficult discussions that seem to just kind of meander everywhere, but that we're recognizing, hey, there's things that we managed to tie together that didn't seem like anybody would ever tie together because they seem like such different phenomena and different categories. But by talking about difficult issues, we're managing to make sense of something that's much bigger than we might have thought at the beginning, such as yeah, transhumanism is just about technology. Well, wait a minute. We tied it into technocracy. We tied it into the occult. We tied it into aliens. We tied it into gender issues, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I mean, I wasn't kidding when the first thing I talked about is what a vastly complicated issue transhumanism is. Now we can kind of see why. No, and I definitely see that as well. Like I said, like like my my first view of transhumanism is was just that that melding of us becoming more more <clears throat> machine than human to the point where we're where we don't even call ourselves human anymore. And it's definitely that there's a as you mentioned a variety of ways to look at it, various things to to sort of consider transhumanism. Um, and to sort of piggyback on what you just said, I think. Last couple of years, if anything, I think the with more people awakening to everything, um, it definitely is very, very calming and very reassuring fact that people are doing that. Um, it's just hopefully it's not too late at this point. Um, yeah, in the game is the only thing um, that I that I would say. Um, but but we'll sort of wrap things up there, sort of a sort of a more of a positive note with everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we head off, if you want to let the listeners know where they can sort of uh, view any of your work, as well as if you have any other uh, any other things you might uh, be working on or coming out in the future with. Yeah, one thing I'm coming out with, I've been reviewing a book I hope to publish soon. And it's in a series of books that I'm writing, reviewing movies with alien and UFO themes. So for one, that's been a blast for me. It's been a lot of fun <laughs> to just watch a lot of really cool sci-fi movies. And my movie review books, and I've written quite a few of them already, are just like I've been talking today. It's, it's not about like the acting and the cinematography and the plots and all this stuff, but um, it's about the worldview philosophies behind these movies. And guess what? I've definitely noticed patterns. And regardless of when these movies were made, um, early in the last century or uh, yesterday, there's definitely patterns. And guess what they are? Transhumanism, occultism, and evolution. It just cannot get away from those three being tied together when it comes to certain issues like uh, the quote-unquote alien issue. So that's been as, as fun as eye-opening for me. And as far as finding me, it's simple. Uh, just go to truefreethinker.com, all one word, truefreethinker, and that kind of will lead you to anything else you might be interested. 
in terms of whatever books, videos, articles, it's all right there, user-friendly. No problem. Uh, well, Ken, I guess it's been a blast over the last couple of hours, yeah. definitely varying into uh, uh, multiple topics here. I yeah. definitely appreciate you coming on. I definitely appreciate uh, Charlie for, uh, yes. for, for recommending <laughs> as well. Hey, and definitely the, this conversation probably go on for, for hours at this point. Uh, and it's definitely something that with, with, with the vast knowledge that you have, as well as the topics you have, it's definitely something that I would love to bring you back on and revisit. Um, so some of the other things you talk about, I know for me, it's you pretty much, at least going through your website, pretty much hit on just about everything that, that I have an interest in. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I would definitely love to have you back um, on the show and talk about um, some other things as well. Um, and well, thank you for coming I think on. that that's part of what made this a very engaging discussion is that you would, you would bring up things that I realized were going to lead to us tying things together that didn't seem to tie together. So I think we made a great match. Yep. I think we definitely did. Charlie made a great match. Yep. We'll we'll, we'll thank Charlie on this one. Yeah. Charlie, the matchmaker. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Anything else before we uh, sign off for today, Ken? No, just uh, thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure and I appreciate your audience uh, listening in on, on a, a discussion that was definitely um, uh, deep and heavy, but hopefully enlightening in the end. It definitely was. I know it's definitely enlightening uh, for me. Um, well, until uh, next time, uh, Ken, you enjoy the rest of your night and uh, thank you for coming on. You too. God bless you all. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Illusionary Tales of Reality. Be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a question for Josh or a theory you'd like to discuss? Get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Illusionary Tales of Reality. Until next time, stay safe and stay awakened.